when I was working on this message, the first thought went through my mind was an incident that took place in 1990 where I got invited to serve on what was called Human Sexuality Commission. It was sponsored by a major denomination. And my response was immediately, clear, unequivocal, no. I knew that out of the 24 people on that commission, there were only three who really believed that the Bible is the Word of God. The rest didn't. Then they asked me, would you hold your response? Would you wait until a representative would come and talk to you about this? Because we really want all views to be heard. So the person came and explained to me. He said, we really we want to hear all the views be represented. We know your view is very different from the rest, but we want to hear it anyway. I said, well, since you know it, why do you want to hear it again? Well, said, well, we want to project uh, uh, an image that we are tolerant, that we accept all views, that we want all views to be heard. Then I asked if the others who don't believe that the Bible is God's self-revelation or the Bible is the Word of God, and we're going to be really hard-struck to come into an agreement when they're all basically 21 in one agreement and the three of us. Finally, he came clean and said, look, we know the deck's stacked against you, and you will never have your way. It's not my way, but we want to project an image that we are listening to all views. At that point, my answer was not only no, it was no, never, not even a certain place freezes over. (laughs) Because I knew we're going to be used. And this person began to tell me that if I turn them down and I do not serve on that commission, my terrible reputation as being narrow-minded and bigoted and uh, intolerant is going to stick. I said, really? (laughs) If you don't serve on that commission, that terrible reputation of yours will really prove people right. I remember clearly as if it was yesterday. I looked to that friend and I said, let me assure you that my reputation in heaven is what really matters to me. I I don't give a ding-dong what people think of me. In fact, I get worried if the people of the world, the unbelievers, speak well of me. I really become worried at that point. And uh, we ended the conversation with that threat. That was, you know, many years ago, and, and that was a certain area of Christianity. Now, I never would have dreamed that this will become a commonplace, that this type of intimidation of believers who hold a biblical worldview become a nationwide, a cultural-wide, within evangelical churches and within denominations and everywhere. Now, they are pointing out, in order to intimidate us, call us intolerant. These are very tolerant people, but they can't tolerate us who have a world. Can you, I mean, can you see the logic of this? Can you see the, the ludicrousness of it? It's now commonplace. And if you haven't experienced it, let me tell you, you will in the next few years. 
Now, this is how society labels anyone who has a biblical conviction. Uh, Now, this is how society views any believer who believes that God revealed Himself through the pages of the Scripture. This is how they love to destroy people's reputation. And when Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, that I am the way, the truth, and the life, He presented us with the most narrow-minded view of things that you can imagine. So what do most churches try to do now? And I say most churches, and I say that with deep sorrow in my heart. Believe me, when I'm all alone, I cry, I weep. In order to accommodate to an increasingly hostile culture, they say, we really don't know if in the original, the definite article, the way, the truth, and the life was there or not. Let me tell you, it was, and it is. (laughs) We cannot really be sure if Jesus said, I am the way, or I am a way, or I am a truth, or I am the truth, and on and on and on and on. (laughs) Why? Why more and more so-called evangelical churches, which by definition means they believe the Scripture, believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, why are they doing this? Listen to me very carefully, please, because this is important. It's going to face all of you, whether you're in high school or in college or in the business world. It's going to face all, every one of us, sooner or later. That is the question that we're going to be confronted with. Why? Why do they want to change what God said? Ah, they are afraid of the PC police, the political correct police. And they're afraid that they will put them or accuse them of this great sin of intolerance. Hitler had his SS. (laughs) We have our PC police now. And they're everywhere. They don't want to be put in prison. A prison, it's not with bars, but a prison that reserved only for the narrow-minded people. For the so-called as intolerant people. They say, well, you know, we just want people to like our Jesus. We want people to tolerate our Jesus. We want people to approve of our Jesus. We, we want people to add Jesus to the list of whatever they believe in or whatever they're doing. Really? And I couldn't help but think about our forebears, our Christian ancestors, first century Rome. They were dipped in boiling oil. They were thrown to hungry lions. They were covered with tar and lit out so they can lit up Nero's garden for his parties at night. What was their sin? Why did Rome hate such loving, caring people? Why do they hate and persecute Christians who... I have talked to heads of government who said they're the most loyal people. Why do they hate them so much? It's the same what's happening with us now. They're in tolerance. They're in tolerance. You see, these polytheistic pagans, they're worshiping a list of gods. And they would have no problem at all 
adding Jesus to that list. In fact, they would have loved to. They wanted to. They were always looking for new gods. And this is an exciting God who raised the dead, and people say things about him that's good. They like to add him to the list. You see it when Paul gets into Ephesus or in different cities, and as soon as he gets there, oh, we we want to hear him. We want to know what he says. Until they discover that he was intolerant (laughs) of all the other gods. You see, they're always looking for new gods, but they did not want these fisky Christians who were saying to them, you don't understand. You can't do that. You can't just add our Jesus to the list of your gods. You don't understand. Our God is the God who made the heavens and the earth. Our God is the one who have created all of the galaxies. Our God is the one through whom the sun and the moon that you are worshiping were made. Our God is the creator of all things. You cannot have him just as another God among all the other gods. He is a unique God. He is the only God. He is the only true God. And the Romans said, "Uh uh-oh, you're intolerant. And we can't tolerate this intolerance. (laughs) It's almost like nothing new under the sun, right? I mean, here we are 2,000 years later, after the West was enlightened by the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are turning back to the days of Rome. (laughs) Listen to me. When Jesus said and made that claim, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he did not make it in a vacuum. Listen carefully. Just prior to his crucifixion, just prior to these horrific events that's about to take place, he wanted to give the disciples heads up. He wanted to comfort them before they would go through this traumatic experience. He wanted them to understand and to be assured that this is why he came from heaven, to die on that cross. And so look at verse, verses 1 and 2 of John chapter 14. He begins there by saying, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions or many rooms. Just think about this. The great thing about Jesus, He is the one who is going to suffer and die. He's the one who's going to bleed on that cross. He is the one through whom the hands of spites are going to go, and in his feet, and the spear, and the crown of thorn. He's the one who is going to suffer, and yet his concern was for them. And he wanted to comfort them before they needed it. He was saying to them, I'm about to go to the cross, and you will be traumatized by my hanging on that cross. But remember... This is the reason why I came from heaven. Indeed, those words are really relevant to every one of us today. Listen to me. Whatever pain you're carrying, whatever difficulties you're going through, whatever illness that you may be facing, whatever you are and whatever you're experiencing, right now you can hear those same words of the Lord Jesus Christ saying, Let not your hearts be troubled. Can you say that with me? Let not your hearts be troubled. Your eternal joy awaits. Whenever the world tries to get you into its frenzy, remember my peace and my joy. Whenever the world tries to fill you with worry and anxiety and fear, he says to you, 
let not your heart be troubled. Whenever the world tries to fill your heart with sorrow and with suffering, Jesus says what? Let not your heart be troubled. I will wipe away all of your tears. Whenever the world confuses you and misleads you and misguides you, our Jesus says what? Let not your hearts be troubled. Just trust in my promises. Appropriate my promises. Claim my promises. But all of this talk about going to the cross and going away and coming back and they don't know where you're going, that got dear old Thomas all in knots. Honest Thomas. So all of this stuff was bubbling inside of Thomas, and he says, what do you mean by this? (laughs) I'm not getting it. I don't know where you're going. How can I know the way? Where are you taking us? Where are you going? Where are you? Had he not said these words, had he not expressed his honesty here, we would not have had those magnificent words of affirmation. In fact, the incredible thing about Thomas It's not really about Thomas in this incident. It's about Jesus. He never, never, never rebuked him. He said, what do you mean, Thomas? How can you ask a question like, no. He said, great question, Thomas. (laughs) And Jesus takes that question as an opportunity to expand the revelation of himself. In fact, here Jesus made one of the most profound declarations that has become the cornerstone of the Christian faith and is becoming more and more a dividing line between those who confess to believe and those who really believe. I am the way, Thomas. I'm the truth, Thomas. I am the giver of eternal life, Thomas. In fact, the construction of the sentence, it can go like this. Because I am the way... Therefore, only in me can you find the truth and eternal life. Or, I am the way that leads to the truth and eternal life. Or, I am the only one through whom you are able to have the truth and eternal life. Or, my way is the only way to receive the truth and eternal life. So much for narrow-mindedness and so much for intolerance. Please listen to me. If any one of those tolerant preachers who are intolerant of Christians try to dial a number on the phone, but because one digit was wrong, they got the wrong number. I wonder if they say, I'm mad at the telephone company. How dare they that I just make one simple mistake and I get the wrong number? It's intolerance on the part of the telephone company. Just one digit out of seven. Or take another example. They say, yes, I know, 20 plus 20 equals 40. But I refuse to believe that. If I want to choose to believe that 20 plus 20 equals 38 or 42, I'm entitled to my belief. Right. Tell that to the IRS. (laughs) Or to the bank. How dare the bank or the IRS or the utility company does not accept the way I believe, what I believe, that 20 plus 20 not always equal 40. That's narrow-mindedness. I'm entitled to my belief. You see the fallacy, can't you? Jesus said, I'm the way. The way that everyone must come through 
to find eternal life in heaven and be saved eternally. The Bible tells us that every one of us, every one of us, born lost, even 700 years before Jesus came from heaven, the prophet Isaiah in 53.6 of the book of Isaiah, he said, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way. And that's why God provided the only way by which we can be found. And when Jesus said, I am the way, he was saying, listen carefully, please. He was saying, I am absolutely, categorically the only way, and there is no other way. While there may be lots of ways to come to Jesus, and there may be as many ways to come to Jesus as there are people who came to Jesus, but there's only one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus. I've heard the testimonies through the years from people from all over the globe. They all have a different testimony. Some people come to Jesus Christ when they become so overwhelmed with His love, this incredible love and, and forgiveness. Some people come to Jesus when they're convicted of sin and judgment. There are some come to Jesus because their sin and their shame weigh them down, and then they hear the truth that Jesus can forgive all of your sins. Uh, others come to Jesus because they know that the wages of sin is death, and they want to live eternal life with Him, and they want to escape death and judgment. There are varieties of ways to come to Jesus, but only one way to come to the Father, and that's through Jesus. But there's more. There's more. None of these guys who so-called founded religions, none of them, none of them, ever claimed to be the only way to heaven. Not one. Not one. Muhammad never claimed to be the only way to the Father. Krishna never claimed to be the way. Buddha never claimed to be the way. They were called messengers. They called teachers. They called philosophers. They called all sorts of things. But they never claimed to be the way to the Father. Only Jesus did. Now, even today, there are people who think that they can climb the fence and go to heaven that way. <laughs> there are some people who think they can buy their way into heaven. There are people who think that if you keep certain religious practice of certain rituals, they're going to go to heaven. Uh, some believe that you got to belong to their denomination if you really want to go to heaven. Let me tell you something. The only one true church is the redeemed church of Jesus Christ from every tribe, every nation, and from all over the globe that will be gathered in heaven soon, I hope. <laughs> but when Jesus declared, I am the way, he was declaring that there is only one direction. There is one specific road. There are no shortcuts. There are no side roads. There are no outlets. He's the only way by which we can go to the Father for eternal life and for the truth. Secondly, He is the only truth. Why did He say that? When you stop with the way. See, the way is going to get you there. The truth, He's the truth in order to assure you that you're going to get there, <laughs> that you can be absolutely certain. Today, we have a majority of people in this culture who believe that truth is relative, that it doesn't matter. And we joke about, you know, the three sides to the truth. There's your side, my side, and the truth. 
but Jesus is the only truth. When Jesus said, I am the truth, He was not just saying, I merely speak the truth. That, of course, He does. He was not saying merely that I know the truth, that He does. But He was saying that I embody the truth, that truth cannot exist apart from me. There may be some specks of truth in the Quran. There may be some specks of truth in the Book of Mormons. There may be some specks of truth in humanism. But the full truth is only found in Jesus. Christ is the truth because He is God's self-revelation. Back in the 80s, I had the privilege of working together with a man, one of the most brilliant minds I have ever come across. He has written many books attacking Christians. And one day he's waiting in a bus stop, and, and the thought hit him. He said, I've been attacking Christians all my life. I've never read their book. <laughs> so he picked up a Bible, and he went home, and for two weeks he read it from cover to cover. And by the time he finished, he was on his knees giving his life to Jesus Christ. Here's what he said. He said, back in my previous religion, the truth was like a cardboard with a light bulb behind it. That cardboard had little dots, specks. When you look on the wall, we reflected the light from the, the light bulb in that back. I see little dots of light. When I came to Jesus Christ, I came on the other side of the cardboard and I saw the whole light bulb. <laughs> That's what the truth was to me until I turned around and I saw the light bulb and I realized that Jesus is the only truth. And here's the sad part of our day. Sadly, our society today, after they've experienced the light of Christ in Western civilization, we are turning our back on the light bulb and looking at the dots. You see, and that is why today you can't find the truth in government. You can't find it among politicians. We can't find truth in the media. We can't find the truth coming out of Hollywood. Why? We turn our back to the light bulb and we're looking at the dots. I am the way so that you can be saved only through Him. I am the truth so that you can be assured of your salvation. Thirdly, I am the life, so that we can live forever with Jesus. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I came so that you might have life with capital L. <laughs> that is the true life that is worth living. If you thought about it, I know you'll agree with me, that we all live life defensively. You say, Michael, what do you mean by that? We live life defensively. Well, we have survival instincts. We want to live our life to the fullest, right? We want to squeeze everything that we can get out of life. Anything that impedes our life being lived to the fullest causes us discomfort. <laughs> anything, any limitations, anything that diminishes life as it ought to be lived, we hate it and we hate it with passion, can I get a witness? That's how God made us. Why? 
God created us with a zest for life. But when sin entered into humanity, it created havoc with all of that. Sin brought about the curses and diseases and death. Sin dictated that no matter how long we live, we all die. So we live our lives now either afraid of death or try to think that its shadow will never touch us. Woody Allen said, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it comes. I have a hunch he's afraid of death. But when Jesus said, I am the life, he said to everyone who would come to the Father through him, that you don't have to either be afraid of death, nor do you have to deny its existence. The Bible said, even youth grow weary, uh, tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Now, let me, can I testify to the Word of God? Can I testify? I might drop dead this afternoon. That's fine. I've got to have it. But I can testify to the truth of this Word <laughs> physically today. I got more energy today than I did 20 years ago. My output is greater today than it was 20 years ago. Young people can't keep up with me. That is the Word of God. It not, has nothing to do with me, nothing physical. It has to do with the Word of God. God said it. I'm putting my hope all in the Lord. See, when you come to Jesus, you will discover the whole truth and eternal life as well. <laughs> when you come to Jesus, He will place a Spirit in you, His Holy Spirit, and His Spirit is going to invigorate you. He's going to energize you. He's going to renew you. He's going to fill you with hope. And whether you're here or there, it doesn't make any difference. And the more time, listen to me, that's my testimony. The more time you spend with Jesus, the more your spirit is ignited with fire. The more you walk with Jesus, the more vitality you're going to receive. The deeper you go with Jesus, the more your focus is on eternity. And you want to take as many people with you as you can. I'm getting really close to the end. But listen to me very carefully. This is important. Sin and holiness cannot coexist. Did you get that? Sin and holiness cannot coexist. The truly happy person is a truly holy person. Now, I know some of you have this medieval concept of a holy man is somebody who kind of wimpish and, and drink powdered milk and, you know, just living kind of sort of a, that kind of life. No, 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 no. That's not biblical. A holy man, a holy woman is the person who set aside their life for Jesus Christ. Someone said, you don't go to heaven to find Jesus. You go to Jesus to find heaven. There's an old song. It goes something like this. No matter where on earth we dwell, on mountaintop or in the dell, in cottage or a mansion fair, where Jesus is, there's heaven there. Hallelujah, yes, there's heaven. <laughs> there's heaven to know my sins forgiven. On land or sea, no matter where, where Jesus is, there's heaven there. Thomas A. Kemp's was born in the 1300s. 
commented on these words, on the words of Jesus, said the following. Listen carefully. I want to read it to you. Follow me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. I am the way which you must follow. I am the truth which you must believe. I am the life which you must hope. I am the invaluable way. I am the infallible truth. I am the unending life. I am the way that is straight. I am the supreme truth. I am the life that is true, the blessed, and the uncreated life. If you abide in my way, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free, and you shall attain life everlasting. I want to say amen to that. This boy lived in the 1400s, but he knew the truth. I wonder how many people today say, oh yeah, I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and yet you're living your life as if he's not. Well, today you can say, Lord Jesus, I want every breath I take demonstrate to the world that I not just believe that intellectually, but I live it in my life. That you are the way, the truth, and the life. Somebody here might have said, I just knew on this Christian stuff, and I, I really did. Today, you can accept his affirmation of who he is and make it part of your life. Allow his spirit to breathe this truth in you day in and day out. Shall we pray together? Precious Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. We can even call you Father without him because of Jesus, so we're able to do that. We were at enmity with you. We thank you for his obedience to the death of the cross. And we thank you, Father, that you provided only one way. And we thank you and we pray that anyone who's having doubt, even at this moment, that they will come to the only way. And Father, for those of us who know these truths and, and treat them like ho-hum, yes, I believe Jesus the way, the truth, and the life. Father, change us, transform us. Make those claims of the Lord Jesus Christ to be the cornerstone of our lives, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org. 